Welcome to the Crossroad International Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. to 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 9, and we're continuing our series in 1 John called Vital Signs, the Evidence of True Discipleship. And as you're turning there, thus far we've seen that we need to understand who Jesus Christ is. That was the first week. Then we talked about that the believer needs to walk in the light of the scripture. Not only do we need to walk in the light, but we need to walk in obedience to the word of God. It's not enough to read it, study it, meditate on it. We have to actually do what it says, put it into practice. Then we need to watch out for the dangers of worldliness, not to be caught up with the things of this world more than the things of God. We must guard against false teachers by abiding in the Word. Last week we talked about believers or members of God's family. And because we're members of God's family, because we're His kids, the world will hate us. Because they hate God. However, our future is bright and glorious. And we will be changed when the Lord Jesus returns. And so today we want to discuss from these few verses, sin and the child of God. Actually, those words shouldn't be used in the same sentence. Sin, child of God. And we'll talk about that in a bit. So let's read 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has never seen him nor known him. Little children... Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And for this purpose the Son of Man was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, for he has been born of God. So we just want to look at the subject this morning of sin and the child of God. In verse 4, John defines what sin is. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So John says that sin 
is lawlessness. Sin basically is the transgression of the law, the breaking of God's commandments. Lawlessness goes one step further, and lawlessness is actually rebellion against God, and it is connected with Satan's rebellion in heaven. Lawlessness. So John is saying that sin is lawlessness. In the classical Greek, the word for sin means to miss the mark. And it was used for warriors that missed the target with the arrow. Or sometimes it was used for travelers that missed the right path. Have you ever taken a wrong turn? Now as guys, we never admit that. We just took a shortcut or the scenic route. <laughs> See some wives elbowing their husbands. But in the New Testament, it's more active in nature. It actually means not just missing the mark, but intentionally breaking the law of God's moral standard. It is a willful rebellion arising from a deliberate choice of the individual, a direct violation of God's law. Sin is missing the mark, but it is more direct. It is an offense against the very character of God. Sin is not something that we take lightly. It's not something that is just an excusable mistake. No, sin is a serious matter because it's an act of rebellion against God. One of the commentaries I read says, Lawlessness is more than the absence of God's law for John. It is a willful rejection and an active disobedience against God's moral standard, which is a characteristic of a child of the devil. Moreover, or whoever commits sin commits lawlessness, for sin is lawlessness. And we're going to talk about here in a little bit, John is not saying that if you occasionally fall into sin, you're lawless. He's talking about a lifestyle, habitually always living the same old way you lived before. That's lawlessness. But he gives us some good news. That's what sin is. But in verse 5, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Jesus came to do away with our sins. We've said it over and over in the Old Testament. Once a year, the high priest took the blood of the sacrifice and he sprinkled it upon the altar. And that blood covered the sin of Israel for one year. The next year, you had to do the same thing all over again. There were markets. Jesus cleansed the temple where they were selling the sacrificial animals. If you yourself wanted to make a sacrifice for sin, 
you had to go to the market, buy a turtle dove, a lamb, or a, or a bull. Take it to the priest, they would slaughter it. And that blood would be sprinkled on the altar to cover your sin. And it was just covered. We sang a song earlier, you cover me. It has the connotation of that type of covering of Old Testament. But now God covers us and completely protects us from sin. Because the sacrifice that Jesus gave, His blood not only covers us, it completely cleansed us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus doesn't cover our sin, it removes our sin. Jesus came to take away our sin. In 1 Timothy 2.6, it talks about Jesus is the ransom for all. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Jesus was the ransom price for you and I. Satan had all of humankind under his clutches. And Satan could rightly say that every person on earth had disobeyed God. He could rightly say every person deserved to be punished for disobeying God. Satan had us in his clutches and we were serving him. Let me ask you, how many of you before you met Jesus did some really dumb things? You did some things you're not very proud of. You hope they never come out. You know, those types of things. Don't ever get in politics or they will come out, guaranteed. But see, Jesus came on the scene when you and I were guilty. We deserved the penalty for our sin. We deserve to suffer. We deserve to be punished. But Jesus came on the scene... And he was sinless. That scripture says, and in him there is no sin. See, the, the sacrifice that we gave to cover the sin had to be spotless. There couldn't be anything wrong with it. It had to be as perfect as possible for the blood to be applied to cover our sin. And Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. John says that he was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In the book of John. Jesus came on the scene and he paid the price that I could not pay. How does the song go? I owed a debt. I could not pay, and Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe. He took my place. I want you to think about that for a moment. It should have been me on the cross. 
not Jesus. Close your eyes for a minute. I know most of us have probably seen the passion of the Christ. Think about that was you that was being whipped with a cat of nine tails. And then picture yourself being nailed to the cross. Ashamed, mocked, spit upon, beaten. That was what we deserved. But Jesus is the remedy for our sin. So now picture yourself standing at the foot of the cross with Jesus hanging there saying, I did this for you. He took the beating. He took the abuse. He took the ridicule. He hung on the cross because he simply prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus did that for us. He is the remedy for our sins. I hope you understand the price that was paid for you to be sitting in this place today, worshiping God. It was the cross of Calvary. And Jesus is the ransom price. Jesus is our remedy. Therefore, as a believer, it should... Um, horrify us to allow sin into our life. But how easy is it to fall back on, oh, if I just confess to God, He is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And we think, oh, I can do anything and all I have to do is ask God's forgiveness and God will well, yes, he will. But we need to be, I think, more serious about sin than we are. Sometimes in the societies we come from, sin is just, oh, it's what everybody does. It's no big deal. And I read a quote yesterday. It says, sin by any other name is still sin. We can call it an alternate lifestyle. It's still sin. Sin is sin. And I don't think there's big sins and little sins. They are all sin. But Jesus is the remedy. Jesus, by His grace and by His mercy helps us to overcome sin. John says, in him there is no sin. There is no sin. There never was any sin. Jesus lived a sinless life. And he shows us that we can do the same thing. And then in verse 6 says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now, John is not suggesting that believers never sin. 
I ask this question a lot. How many of you are saved? How many of you have sinned since you were saved? How many of you have sinned this year? How many of you have sinned this month? How many of you have sinned this week? How many of you have sinned today? How many of you have sinned since church started? Don't. <laughs> Amen. Let me read from Weast Word Studies what it says about this. The word abide and sin are used to designate a certain class of individual. Character is shown by one's habitual actions, not by his extraordinary actions. Think about that. Character is what we do every day, not what we do from time to time. The tense of the verb is present. This is the kind of action that is continuous and habitual. So, everyone who habitually bides in Jesus is a saved person. And everyone who habitually sins is an unsaved person. A Christian, as a habit of life, is abiding in fellowship with the Lord Jesus. Sin may at times enter his life, but sin is the exception. This is talking about, if you abide in Jesus, you do not have a lifestyle of sin. Your lifestyle is different. You live differently once you know Jesus than you did before, hopefully. Hopefully people that know you and have known you for a long time can see a difference in your life today than the way you lived before you met Christ. Because your lifestyle is a lifestyle of abiding in Jesus. If we keep on continually sinning, we have neither seen him nor know him. If we have a lifestyle of sin, it shows that we are not true believers. I've said before, I wish I had the opportunity to open up your heart and see that Jesus is there and that you have a new heart and that you've been born again. But I do not have that privilege as a pastor. We don't, none of us can know just by talking to someone truly whether they are born again or not. But the Bible says by their fruit we will know them. By the lifestyle that we lead, we will know whether we are believers or not. So let me ask you your question. A question. Is your lifestyle glorifying God, glorifying you, or glorifying the world? What is our lifestyle 
like. True believers avoid sin by keeping their eyes on Jesus. If you've ever gotten a WhatsApp or a text or an email from me, normally it will say somewhere in there at the end, keep your eyes on Jesus. Because that is the only way for you to walk a life that is pleasing to God is to keep your eyes focused on Jesus. You remember Peter in the boat? There's a storm and there's Jesus. I love Peter. He's one of my heroes because Peter reminds me of me a lot. Peter had the same problem I have. My mouth starts working before my brain starts working. Here's a fisherman. Every day of his life, he goes out to the coast. There's his boat, and he steps in the water to walk out to his boat, and not one time did he ever walk on top of it. Think about that. Fishes all day, comes back at the end of the day, comes up to the shore, steps out of the boat right through the water to the bottom and walks out. As a fisherman, professional, not one time did the water ever hold him up. And here they are in the midst of a storm. Seas raging. And there's Jesus. And what does Peter say? If it's you, let me come to you. Be careful what you pray. God may answer you. And Jesus just said, come. But see, here's what I like about Peter. He didn't question. He just jumped out of the boat. And something he had never done in his life, he walked on water. Because Jesus said, come, and he was going to him. But then something happened that happens to many of us. He did not keep his eyes on Jesus. He started looking at the circumstances around him. He started looking at the wind and the waves. And when he lost focus on Jesus, what happened? He went right back to his old ways and he started sinking right through the water. The problem was, today, he's not at the shore. He's out in the middle. And then the other thing I love about Peter, he simply said, Lord, save me. When your mouth gets you in trouble, and you get your eyes off of Jesus, just cry out, Lord, save me. And he will come to your rescue because Jesus wants us to be saved. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. Jesus will be with you. But it says that the eyes of unbelievers are blind. They don't see Jesus nor do they know him. So what's the correct procedure to follow when you have done sin? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as Jesus is righteous. So John is contrasting the righteous acts of believers against the unrighteous acts of the false teachers that have come in that he's been talking about for this book that are trying to deceive the children of God. Now that doesn't mean that everybody that does good things is a believer. I know some very bad people that from time to time do good things, so that doesn't mean they're believers. But what John is saying here is if we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, if we are truly born again, if we are truly saved and we are the children of God, then we will live a lifestyle of righteousness that brings glory and is pleasing to God. The righteous lifestyle of a believer. And Jesus is the one that is our plumb line. Anybody, do you know what a plumb line is? In building, if you want to find dead center, if you want to, what's directly below that point, you put a line there and you have a plumb line and it drops down and it'll show you exact dead center of that point. Jesus is our plumb line. Jesus is our standard. But too many times we want to gauge our lives by one another. But see, I may be better than you, but I'm leaning a bit this way. And so if you try to line up with me, you'll lean a little bit. And if somebody else tries to line up with you in before long, you know, we're all leaning the wrong way. But if we line up with Jesus, if we let Jesus be our standard, then we're in much better shape. So don't compare yourself to other believers. Because you can always find somebody that's worse than you. True? But the other side of that is you can always find somebody that's better than you. Okay? So don't measure yourself by yourself or by others. Measure yourself according to Christ. Verse 8. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of Man was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Habitual Sinful behavior is a mark of Satan's influence in our life. From the very first appearance in the Bible, the devil has always done evil. And the Bible says here in John, he says, "In the devil has sinned from the beginning. Most of the commentators that I read says this goes back to the garden. Where Satan came, the devil came as the serpent and tempted Eve. And as a result, sin entered into the world. 
And one guy I um, read, he said this, don't be fooled by the flattering language, Satan is not your friend. Jesus is your friend. Jesus is the one that came to save you. Satan wants to destroy you. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and that word destroy means to bring to an end, to abolish, and to completely do away with. So Jesus wants to destroy the work of Satan in our lives, if we will let him. But we have to work with him. We have to take thoughts captive. We have to be careful what we set in front of us. The Bible says, set no evil before your eyes. Watch, be careful what you look at. Be careful what you read. Be careful what you listen to. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. And then lastly in verse 9, Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. How many of you have been born of God? Amen. So if we have been born of God, God's seed, the seed of his word, the Holy Spirit abides within us, and it gives us the power, gives us the ability not to sin. Do we from time to time fall into sin? Yes. But what this is talking about is a habitual sinning to where you have a lifestyle of sin. If you are born of God, you do not have a lifestyle of sin. He's talking about the Word and the Holy Spirit abiding within us. And then I read this, and it, this kind of caught my eye. The Christian is at the same time both justified and a sinner. He is righteous positionally and unrighteous practically. In other words, we are positioned with Christ in heavenly places, but from time to time we mess up. From time to time, we have issues. From time to time, we miss the mark. But theologically, positionally, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. The Christian should not sin, and he is able not to sin, but he does sin occasionally. So John's point seems to be, that Christians must not sin, but if they stumble, they have an advocate with the Father, and His name is Jesus Christ. So the first condition for living for God is to deal with the sin in your life. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Does your lifestyle give evidence for or against your profession as a Christian? If you were arrested this afternoon for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you 
Or would they have to let you go for lack of evidence of your faith? Think about that. If you were fired tomorrow when you go to work for being a Christian, could you argue enough to keep your job? Or is there enough evidence against you that you're toast? Hopefully, you're toast. Hopefully, everybody where you work knows you're a believer. Had a pastor friend of mine in Houston, Texas, and he started going to a gym to work out, and he said the first day he was in there, as he walked by, he saw in the guy's locker room at the gym all these pictures that shouldn't have been there. And he said he wanted no doubt that he was a Christian. So as all these guys are changing, he just said he started walking through the locker room and saying, God, I thank you that I am a son of God. I thank you that you've saved me and you've, you've brought me out of a life of sin. And Father, I thank you that I no longer look at the pictures like these other men in here are looking at and help me just to be a witness and to be able to help them to where they can come to know you as the Savior. And he said, there was no question after that that I was a Christian. Now, I'm not telling you tomorrow to go to work and walk through your company doing that because we may be saying bye to you next weekend. <laughs> but the question is your lifestyle, the way you treat people, the way you react in negative situations. Is your lifestyle evidence for or against your profession? Are you harboring or excusing sin in your life? And lastly, can your lifestyle be described as righteous? I'll be yelled if you guys want to come up. Let me pray for you, and then we want to just have a time of response for you to deal with some things maybe in your life with God. This isn't a shouting message or a message that you get excited about whenever you're talking about sin. Um, we step on toes. There were things I had to deal with over the last couple of weeks as I've been preparing this message. And I'm going, God, how can, how can I preach this with and different things would come to mind that I have done or battle fight with and struggle with and I just want to give you some good news today God is not dead God is still alive Jesus is still on the throne Jesus is still saving people Jesus still covers us Jesus gives us the power. Jesus gives us the ability to live a life without sin. But also when we do make a mistake, He forgives us. So I just want you to take a few moments as the worship team is singing this song. Make that a, just a, the space in front of you, an altar between you and God no one else and if there's anything that you're struggling with 
If your lifestyle isn't what you think it should be to glorify God, then just say, Father, I repent of this. Forgive me. And he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Father, I thank you today.